Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm here with Jess, and today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics, launching. So there's going to be a lot of things that are inclusive of a launch, but we're going to be really like narrowing down into three specific things not to skip in your launch, specifically after your launch. This is really going to help you establish market research, pull out key insights, and do a whole bunch of things for the next time you launch that program. So you ready, Jess? Yes. So I don't know how you feel about launching, but I actually love to launch. I hate launching, but I think it's because I launch so much with my own clients and it is so much effort. Like I will not ever say that it is something that you can effortlessly pull off. There's so many moving pieces into it. And I just, we always neglect our own businesses. So I'm always a little more hesitant to launch for my own because I don't have a lot of those support pieces. So not a big launcher over here. No, I was specifically talking about it. I love launching for other people. (laughs) I do not like launching myself. But I think that's the case for everything because I've talked about this before, but when you're launching a new product or an existing product and you're putting something something out there, and you're going to get a ton of no's just based on like benchmarks for conversions. We'll, re- we'll talk about these deeper when we get to the analytics of things, but you're going to get a lot of no's. So it's a lot of putting yourself out there energetically to be, it's not publicly because nobody knows at the end of the day, maybe your team, like how many people are buying, but it's like, you feel exposed. You're putting something that you've worked really hard on out into the world. And whether you're viewing your launch as a success or not, it's a lot of exposure. It's a lot of energy expenditure. And a lot of times, once the launch is over, my clients don't want to look at it, don't want to talk about it, don't want to do anything about it again. They just want it to be over. And I think that is one of the number one mistakes that you can make when launching because there is so much magic in the debrief and what you do post-launch. Yeah. Do you agree, Rachel? Completely. And it is one of those things, like, I think it's standard for people who maybe launch without launch support, like either me or you, and they completely skip over this part. But I think, I hope that as you're listening to this, if you've launched before, or if you're thinking about launching, you can see the value in what these three components give to your next launch. I always tell people your first launch is going to be the hardest. You're introducing new concepts to your audience. You're introducing new products. There's a lot of people like buyer behavior changes every quarter, every month, like every year kind of thing. And there's a lot of people who will literally just say, I'm going to wait to see how it goes for these people. One, that's part of your own marketing to show off how that transformation is happening inside of the container or after the program, but really like understanding the first launch is the hardest. But once you get these key insights, the second launch is like, it's so much better because you're like building on something that's already been established. 
Yeah. And that reality is not talked about. I got an email in my inbox yesterday. It was like, launch your offer in a day. And so many people talk about getting the offer out into the world. There's no one talking about, okay, now it's out there. Now what I what am I going to do? But the truth is, even if you gained no financial revenue, hopefully you gained a little bit, but even if you didn't do any of it, you still gained a ton of momentum. You probably increased your engagement. You probably added subscribers to your list. You probably added followers. And now you've got this momentum and these people that are waiting for you to buy the next time. And Rachel and I always talk about how many like touch points the customer needs with you. If it's someone that discovered you during that first launch, chances are that you haven't touched them that what is it? Eight to 13 times that they are to 14, 12 to 14 times that they, that you need to be able for them to be able to invest in that offer. Launching again is so important. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the three things that we think you should do after your launch and three things that we would suggest you don't do after your launch. So we're going to talk about the three things that we really think you should do after your launch first, and then we'll talk about what not to do. Yeah. So let's start with something that I think a lot of people miss from an opportunity standpoint, and this is like the downsell. This, I say, goes first once you're like post-launch. There's a really interesting chapter inside of Influence, one of my favorite marketing books, where they talk about if you like ask somebody, you say, hey, can I have $100? And people's initial reactions are like, no, thank you. Or no, I don't have a hundred dollars. Like, oh, can I at least have five then? And they're like, yeah, I have five. That's more manageable. There's a lot of that knowledge in the levers of influence when it comes to marketing as to why downsells work really well. And so if maybe you had somebody that was like on the fence wanting to invest, but like that initial transaction felt too much, the downsell is an opportunity, one, to increase your revenue from the launch, but also to give them a taste of the experience to be like, oh, okay, great. Now I'm dipping my toe into the waters of your offer and can move on to the next thing. Can you give some examples of downsells? Just because I feel like a lot of people get stuck. I had my big offer. What's something that I can give them that's still valuable, but not the same thing as my offer. Yeah. So if we're, let's say we're launching a program for you, Jess, and it's going to be something that's like hands-on support or maybe a group container where they get access to you every once in a while. And they're like that, I don't know if I need that much support in my business. I don't even know all of this stuff. A downsell to that would be like a template, something that is less than a hundred dollars that feels Oh, okay, let me just try to do it myself first to prove myself wrong in the objection that I can, I don't need the support or I do need the support, whatever that looks like. So it goes like a ladder step down. And if you've built out your customer journey in a way that is logical and you have resources that are, can act as a tripwire, can act as one-off paid resources, you can easily offer a discount to something along those lines, like a template that can really kind of convert effortlessly in the scenario of a downsell. All right. So then our next thing 
is one of my favorite things. I love a good survey. Yes. I have surveys all over. I have surveys after you opt into my email list. I have surveys if you buy. I have surveys if you don't buy. I think getting feedback from your customer and from the people that are interacting with you are so important. So talking about the two like post-launch surveys, I love to embed a um, post-buyer survey immediately on that thank you page if someone has purchased. Not only is are those people super engaged because they just gave you their hard-earned money, so they're going to be more likely to answer this and answer it truthfully. This can give you a lot of good intel if you're still like mid-launch to be able to make any like small pivots or changes, or maybe even pick up. Sometimes they'll have like great little messaging tip bits of like why they decided to buy that you can actually use in your marketing. So that is one survey that I think you should definitely have during your launch. And then the (laughs) second survey is the post-launch survey that you would send to anyone that maybe opted into your launch or clicked through to your sales page, but didn't buy. This one, you might be a little more hesitant to send because again, it's going to be like rejection. People are going to tell you why they didn't buy, but you can also gather a lot of good insights. I think pricing is something that is the number one thing that people who are launching in their head will say is the reason that people didn't buy. But really, that's not the case. And actually, in the post-launch surveys that I send, I say, aside from the price, what are three different reasons why you didn't purchase today? Because usually there's a deeper reason why people didn't invest. Maybe timing, and maybe they didn't completely understand the offer. They may think they're not ready for the offer that sort of thing. Yeah. I think something to add to that, because I literally have a client ask me this today as we're putting together her post-launch survey was like, is the ask of who do I send this to? I typically segment this down a little bit further. I don't do everybody that's received the entire launch emails or anything like that. If you're doing a full list send versus like a launch list, I typically try to get feedback from the most engaged people with the launch that didn't convert. So this is typically people who had visited the sales page. It's really powerful if you have an email platform or a marketing platform that can tell you these things that can track your visits. So anybody that visits the sales page, anybody that opens and clicks one of the emails and engages in it that way, that way you're going to get the most valuable feedback from the people who are actively lurking, but didn't convert, which I think is like the lowest hanging fruit for conversion there. And I totally agree about what Jess said about price. I think you can have that initial assumption and you can easily allow them to ask or to answer that in the survey. Because if you're not sure on the price and you just put a number out there, It can be validating to be like, oh, I knew price was going to be an issue. And then that people are saying price. But I think it's also one of the biggest things that I've seen is like timing, which is like kind of what Jess was talking about. I've seen a lot of feedback say, oh, I just joined another program. I didn't think this would like I'm going to wait to see how that program goes. That stuff is completely out of your control. And if this is your first launch and you have an emotional like connection to it, it's so easy to get down on yourself and be like, oh, I must not have had the right messaging or I must not have had some level of components put together, blah, blah, blah. 
No, sometimes it's literally that it just didn't align with that person's budget, with that person's current investments, and that's okay. We want that feedback so that we can one, validate, we did everything we could, two, we'll still keep them on the launch list, and then three, just make sure that we're capturing feedback is one of the most important things for improvement of the next round. Before we jump to the next question, what is your favorite post-launch survey question to add? I only do that one. I only do one because I feel like they've already gotten all of these sales. So I only ask one and it's just give me a reason why you didn't buy. And then we'll list all of the reasons why we think that person didn't buy. Mm -hmm. And we always leave it open for them to reply back and let us know as well. And a lot of people will just reply back and be like, oh, I was really excited about it, but just not the right time for me or something like that. And I think like a way to pump yourself up after a launch is to be able to get those emails from those people that they, yes, they are actually interested. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. It's just not the right time for them. Yeah. So I take a dip. What about you? I do four questions in there and like typically they're very short answer questions. So it's like, what is the number one reason you did not invest? The second question, what would make like investing an absolute no brainer in the future. And then another one of, if this wasn't right for you, maybe what else can I talk about just for like extra content ideas and to see just a general pulse on like where the audience is at that those three questions. And even what you're saying, it's all the same, like feedback. It's all the same response that we're capturing. We're just cataloging it in a different way so that we can shuffle through it a little bit. And I always do a little fun chart where I'll take money objections, like as the number one, I'll make them like color code them and filter it. And then in my like, we'll get to actually, I'm going too far ahead. I'm like, I don't want in the debrief. Yeah. In the debrief, it's so fun to look at this. I say fun because I'm such a data nerd, but yeah. Now we'll move into our third thing. And it is, you should be completing a launch debrief. So in this section, we're going to just walk you through what our launch debriefs look like. I'm sure Rachel and I have a little bit of different processes, but I can guess that both of them start with metrics and really your launch metrics. You should be tracking throughout your launch so that you can make any pivots and shifts as needed, but you definitely want to have a recap of these metrics as well. So what are some of the numbers that you're looking at for, as you're looking at launch analytics, Rachel? The first thing I'll do is just extract everything. So emails, landing page visits, where the traffic flow was going. If you have Google Analytics on your page, you can easily build these reports to to saved views and stuff. But I always get everything out on one page just for the sake of, I've seen it in like my clients where their emails are the high engagement. They have 5% click-through rates, 70 plus percent open rates, but we're still seeing a conversion issue. It tells us it's not the emails, it's a landing page or it's the checkout experience. And so really having that clarity on what is performing above benchmark and what's meeting the goals and what's not is like the whole goal to see everything in one place. What about you? What's on your... Same thing. I have a visual funnel where we can track that journey that the buyer is taking and see like where the conversion rates are falling off 
whether it be email. And then we're checking, tracking individual email performances as well, because it's always fun to see when like one pops up, you're like, oh, that messaging really resonated. Yeah. Maybe we need to pull that over into if the, on the sales page, if it's not there already. Or to give a real life example, we noticed during the last launch, we had one particular email talk about testing that was offered for one of my dietitian clients. And it was like a 10% click rate where they were clicking through to see what the testing was. And I was like, oh, they really want testing. And this was like an add on offer to this. And what we ended up doing is weaving on that testing into the offer, the next launch go around. And even though the offer was more expensive, more people bought because that was the part that they wanted. They didn't want to add it on. They wanted it to be included in their offer. Yeah. So I think that's like absolutely key to show like that the improvements of the launch don't just live in the feedback, but it lives in the actual buyer behavior, which is why that those analytics and the metrics are so powerful because just sitting there and looking at feedback can tell you one thing, but actually seeing the true behavior It's one of the funniest things because before a launch, you'll have a lot of people like, I'm so interested. I'm on the wait list. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then you actually launch and people don't convert. And so they're saying one thing, but not doing another, which is where that data comes in to marry the, what they say they want and what they're actually responding to. So I think that's, if you're hesitant to get into the data, like it's so insightful if you just like look at it, if you just come at it with an open mind and Just understand that your subscribers are behaving differently than what they're saying. And there's a reason why. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from quantitative data and metrics, I also like to look during the debrief. I send a, if there is a launched support team that we're working with, I send a short little survey out to them. What felt good about this launch? Where did you get stuck? What ideas or issues did, you know, came up for you during this so that we can include all of that? as well. Um, A lot of times too, we can smooth out things like operationally, because if something goes awry operationally during a launch, it can affect the energy of the client as well. So we want to try to refine that as much as possible the next go around and make this process as smooth as possible for everyone involved, because I'm sure you can be more creative or when you're not in that like reactive fight or flight Mm -hmm. mode, you just perform better. So my goal as like a launch manager is to remove the friction from everyone's job as much as possible so that everyone can show up from the client to the support team as their best self. Yeah. I also like to look at like qualitative data from the client. Like how did it, I know we talk about how did it feel for them as well. So asking, you know, what part did they enjoy? If there was a live component, did they like showing up for the challenge every day? (laughs) Did they like doing the webinar? Like what part of that felt good and what didn't feel good? And a lot of times too, I'm not in their Instagram like DMs, but they can give me a lot of feed, like direct feedback that they were getting as people were messaging them. Yeah, I think it is really interesting because when I work with my clients, like obviously I'm specialized in the email marketing automation space. However, we don't approach launches in that way. We approach them very holistically. Like we plan social content. We talk about how you need to be on social as well. And I think there's one of those things that even in the launch recap. If you see, because I'll have them pull all of their like story views, post analytics and all of that. And to see the engagement paralleled to the social, you just see that your buyers are behaving like 
they're consuming on both channels. Like they're putting questions in the Q&A slides on the stories. They're engaging and asking questions in the comments. All of that stuff is really interesting to see because it does bridge. And I've seen a lot of people who try to just do an email only launch, but unfortunately like leaning into multi like platform launch is like easier than just existing entirely on one, just for the sake of that's how buyers interact. That's how your customers are consuming and making their decisions is on multiple platforms. And so when you exist only on one, it really does a disservice to the reach of your launch and just the success of it. So I always try to encourage people, if you can do social components, even if it's just showing up and answering questions, that's better than expecting your list to carry the entire burden. Yeah, yeah. And I love to pull because I've started including Instagram handles on most of my clients opt-ins. I don't know how you feel about that, but you can let me know your opinion. But I love to be able to like give that information to the client. Hey, this person clicked to the sales page. If you've had any interaction with her on social, maybe follow up because she's definitely on the warmer side and she might just have a little more questions. So I'll send click reports to my clients, especially if a launch isn't performing organically. Cause I think we've talked about this before. It's gone to the days where you can like post and everyone buys. People are going to need that like one-on-one interaction to build that trust with one way that I'm like weaving it in to my launches. That was the three things to do. Now let's move on to the three things not to do. Okay. We're going to be really quickly on this, but number one, don't create a new offer. As Rachel stated in the beginning, it's going to take a couple of times to gain traction and momentum. And usually your first launch isn't going to go like, you're not going to blow it out of the water. Hate to break it to you based on what you've seen on the internet, (laughs) but like very rarely I've done like 50 launches at this point, probably more than that. Very rarely have I had anyone do like over 100K on their first launch. And nor do you really want to, because if this is your first time launching a product, like you probably don't have the back end onboarding and support systems for you to like completely blow up. It's a much better experience for you to gradually like tear this up. So typically we're seeing people like after their third or three to five launches really see success. Yeah, I'm going to add a little asterisk in there because just at 100K on your first launch, she works with a lot bigger audiences than maybe some people listening here. So even if you only get one or two conversions, whatever that monetary price point is for yours, that's still average. Like it's still one of those things that the traction, especially with a smaller audience, takes so much time to develop because you have less less numbers to turn the not, the dial on. And a little asterisk in there because you're like, this is my first launch and I'm only trying to get to 10,000. Still, <laughs> it depends on certain things. There's a lot of nuance in audience size, engagement rate, and all of that. So yeah. really just having that compassion with yourself that like first time launches aren't massively successful, but get to the second one, get to the third one is absolutely key. Don't trash your offer and say restart because then you're going back to first launch blues and you're going to be experiencing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So it's really important to set yourself up realistically. And so one of the exercises that I do 
pretty much on discovery calls because I want people with realistic hopes and dreams coming into my launches because one, I'm a big investment and I want to make sure that they are aware that they may not see ROI this first go around, but they will get a process to help lead them through the next go rounds is doing that launch goal. So taking your email list and I guess we, I say usually between one and 3% of what's on your email list is what you're going to expect to buy. I don't know if those metrics are what different than what, but I think that's setting up yourself from a realistic expectation. Yeah. It's supposed to feel fun and set yourself up with realistic goals from the expectation and just know that you probably just did something that not a lot of people have done or have the guts to do and that deserves to be celebrated. Yeah. And also... The person that you're beating yourself up on that they didn't convert or they didn't do that, they're a human. There's things going on in everybody's lives that even when you're inundated with beautiful marketing messages and a perfectly crafted launch strategy can still come up with a reason why they're not ready and all of that. So there's a lot of removal of the human existence from launching when you're just looking at it from a nor- like a numbers perspective. But when you are looking at your launch list and being like, why aren't y'all converting? Realize that we live in a very chaotic time and there's so much going on in the world that there can be so many factors. And give yourself grace, give your list grace if they don't perform the way that you had calculated them to. And our third thing is don't go changing everything at in your launch at once. So use what you've learned from your data, from your customer's behavior, from your survey, and pick the lowest hanging fruit, the biggest opportunity and tweak that. Because if you change everything at once and your results aren't what you think they're going to be, then you're not going to know what worked, what didn't work. And it's just going to be a sloppy mess. <laughs> yeah. And then the only thing to add to that is just document everything. Take the time to understand what changes you're going to make. I always say to document from a very scientifical perspective is put up like why you think you're making this change, what you hope to make like to make the shift there. That way you're making these changes with intention and you're not just saying, I'm going to change the sales page just because I want to change the sales page. Really go into it and say, hey, we saw an issue on the sales page. I want to change this. It just helps you avoid going crazy and making seven different massive changes to a launch that maybe only needed one to two. And then just have patience with it because I know launching is rough, but the second launch is always the most fun. The second and third, like just you just got to get there. <laughs> I always say business is a science and launching is an experiment. So treat it as such and remove as much emotion as you can, at least from the results. Yes. All right. So we hope you found this helpful. And until next week, we're rooting for you.